The following was recorded by John Loth and is intended for educational purposes. This recording is not to be sold or distributed for sale. If you wish to support the work and publishing of these recordings, please visit the John Loth Patreon page. If you come across these recordings anywhere else without my expressed support and find that they are requesting donations for presenting this work to you, you will not be supporting the creator by doing so. This is just a friendly warning to anyone who may fall prey to predatory practices I have come across recently. The Ethnic Cauldron The Eurasian Balkans include nine countries that, one way or another, fit the foregoing description with two others as potential candidates. The nine are Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia, all of them formerly part of the defunct Soviet Union, as well as Afghanistan. The potential additions to the list are Turkey and Iran, both of them much more politically and economically viable, both active contestants for regional influence within the Eurasian Balkans, and thus both significant geostrategic players in the region. At the same time, both are potentially vulnerable to internal ethnic conflicts. If either or both of them were to be destabilized, the internal problems of the region would become unmanageable, while efforts to restrain regional domination by Russia could even become futile. The three states of the Caucasus, Armenia, Georgia, and Azerbaijan, can be said to be based on truly historic nations, as a result, their nationalisms tend to be both pervasive and intense, and external conflicts have tended to be the key challenge to their well-being. The five new Central Asian states, by contrast, can be said to be rather more in the nation-building phase, with tribal and ethnic identities still strong, making internal dissension the major difficulty. In either type of state, these vulnerabilities have tempted exploitation by their more powerful and imperially-minded neighbors. The Eurasian Balkans are an ethnic mosaic. See preceding table and map. The frontiers of its states were drawn arbitrarily by Soviet cartographers in the 1920s and 1930s, when the respective Soviet republics were formally established. Afghanistan, never having been part of the Soviet Union, is the exception. Their borders were carved out largely on the ethnic principle, but they also reflected the Kremlin's interest in keeping the southern region of the Russian Empire internally divided and thus more subservient. Accordingly, Moscow rejected proposals by Central Asian nationalists to meld the various Central Asian peoples most of whom were not yet nationalistically motivated, into a single political unit, to be called Turkestan, preferring instead to create five separate republics, each with a distinctive new name and jigsaw borders. Presumably, out of a similar calculation, the Kremlin abandoned all plans for a single Caucasian federation. Therefore, it is not surprising that upon the collapse of the Soviet Union, neither the three states of the Caucasus nor the five states of Central Asia were fully prepared for their newly independent status 
nor for the needed regional cooperation. In the Caucasus, Armenia's less than 4 million people and Azerbaijan's more than 8 million promptly became embroiled in open warfare over the status of Nagorno-Karabakh, a largely Armenian-populated enclave within Azerbaijan. The conflict generated large-scale ethnic cleansings, with hundreds of thousands of refugees and expellees fleeing in both directions. Given the fact that Armenia is Christian and Azerbaijan Muslim, the war has some overtones of a religious conflict. The economically devastating war made it much more difficult for either country to establish itself as stably independent. Armenia was driven to rely more on Russia, which had provided significant military help, while Azerbaijan's new independence and internal stability were compromised by the loss of Nagorno-Karabakh. Azerbaijan's vulnerability has wider regional implications because the country's location makes it a geopolitical pivot. It can be described as the vitally important cork controlling access to the bottle that contains the riches of the Caspian Sea Basin and Central Asia. An independent, Turkic-speaking Azerbaijan, with pipelines running from it to the ethnically related and politically supportive Turkey, would prevent Russia from exercising a monopoly on access to the region, and would thus also deprive Russia of decisive political leverage over the policies of the new Central Asian states. Yet Azerbaijan is very vulnerable to pressures from powerful Russia to the north and from Iran to the south. There are twice as many Azeris, some estimates as many as 20 million, living in northwestern Iran as in Azerbaijan proper. That reality makes Iran fearful of potential separatism among its Azeris, and hence quite ambivalent regarding Azerbaijan's sovereign status, despite the two nations' shared Muslim faith. As a result, Azerbaijan has become the object of combined Russian and Iranian pressures to restrict its dealings with the West. Unlike either Armenia or Azerbaijan, most of which are ethnically quite homogeneous, about 30% of Georgia's 6 million people are minorities. Moreover, these small countries, rather tribal in organization and identity, have intensely resented Georgian domination. Upon the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the Ossetians and the Abkhazians, therefore, took advantage of internal Georgian political strife to attempt secession, which Russia quietly backed in order to compel Georgia to accede to Russian pressures to remain within the CIS, from which Georgia initially wanted to secede altogether and to accept Russian military bases on Georgian soil in order to seal the area off from Turkey. In Central Asia, internal factors have been more significant in promoting instability. Culturally and linguistically, four of the five newly independent Central Asian states are part of the Turkic world. Tajikistan is linguistically and culturally Persian while Afghanistan, outside the former Soviet Union, is a Pathan, Tajik, Pashtun, and Persian ethnic mosaic. 
All six countries are Muslim. Most of them, over the years, were under the passing influence of the Persian, Turkish, and Russian empires. But that experience has not served to foster a spirit of a shared regional interest among them. On the contrary, their diverse ethnic composition makes them vulnerable to internal and external conflicts, which cumulatively tempt intrusion by more powerful neighbors. Of the five newly independent Central Asian states, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan are the most important. Regionally, Kazakhstan is the shield and Uzbekistan is the soul for the region's diverse national awakenings. Kazakhstan's geographic size and location shelter the others from direct Russian physical pressure, since Kazakhstan alone borders on Russia. However, its population of about 18 million is approximately 35% Russian. The Russian population throughout the area is steadily declining, with another 20% also non-Kazakh a fact that has made it much more difficult for the new Kazakh rulers, themselves increasingly nationalistic but representing only about one-half of the country's total population, to pursue the goal of nation-building on the basis of ethnicity and language. The Russians residing in the new state are naturally resentful of the new Kazakh leadership and, being the formerly ruling colonial class and thus also better educated and situated, they are fearful of the loss of privilege. Furthermore, they tend to view the new Kazakh nationalism with barely concealed cultural disdain. With both the northwestern and northeastern regions of Kazakhstan heavily dominated by Russian colonists, Kazakhstan would face the danger of territorial secession if Kazakh-Russian relations were to deteriorate seriously. At the same time, Several hundred thousand Kazakhs reside on the Russian side of the state borders and in northeastern Uzbekistan, the state that the Kazakhs view as their principal rival for Central Asian leadership. Uzbekistan is, in fact, the prime candidate for regional leadership in Central Asia. Although smaller in size and less endowed with natural resources than Kazakhstan, it has a larger population nearly 25 million, and, much more important, a considerably more homogeneous population than Kazakhstan's. Given higher indigenous birth rates and the gradual exodus of the formerly dominant Russians, soon about 75% of its people will be Uzbek, with only an insignificant Russian minority remaining largely in Tashkent, the capital. Moreover, the country's political elite deliberately identifies the new state as the direct descendant of the vast medieval empire of Tamerlane, 1336-1404, whose capital, Samarkand, became the region's renowned center for the study of religion, astronomy, and the arts. This lineage imbues modern Uzbekistan with a deeper sense of historical continuity and regional mission than its neighbors. Indeed, some Uzbek leaders see Uzbekistan as the national core of a single Central Asian entity, presumably with Tashkent as its capital. More than in any of the other Central Asian states, 
Uzbekistan's political elite, and increasingly also its people, already partake of the subjective markings of a modern nation-state, and are determined, domestic difficulties notwithstanding, never to revert to colonial status. That condition makes Uzbekistan both the leader in fostering a sense of post-ethnic, modern nationalism, and an object of some uneasiness among its neighbors. Even as the Uzbek leaders set the pace in nation-building and in the advocacy of greater regional self-sufficiency, the country's relatively greater national homogeneity and more intense national consciousness inspire fear among the rulers of Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and even Kazakhstan that Uzbek regional leadership could evolve into Uzbek regional domination. That concern inhibits regional cooperation among the newly sovereign states, which is not encouraged by the Russians in any case, and perpetuates regional vulnerability. However, like the others, Uzbekistan is not entirely free of ethnic tensions. Part of southern Uzbekistan, particularly around the historical and culturally important centers of Samarkand and Bukhara, have significant Tajik populations, which remain resentful of the frontiers drawn by Moscow. Complicating matters further is the presence of Uzbeks in western Tajikistan and of both Uzbeks and Tajiks in Kyrgyzstan's economically important Fergana Valley where, in recent years, bloody ethnic violence has erupted, not to mention the presence of Uzbeks in northern Afghanistan. Of the other three Central Asian states that have emerged from Russian colonial rule, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Turkmenistan, only the third is relatively cohesive ethnically. Approximately 75% of its 4.5 million people are Turkmen, with Uzbekistan and Russians each accounting for less than 10%. Turkmenistan's shielded geographic location makes it relatively remote from Russia, with Uzbekistan and Iran of far greater geopolitical relevance to the country's future. Once pipelines to the area have been developed, Turkmenistan's truly vast natural gas reserves augur a prosperous future for the country's people. Kyrgyzstan's five million people are much more diverse. The Kyrgyz themselves account for about 55% of the total, and the Uzbeks for about 13%, with the Russians lately dropping from over 20% to slightly over 15%. Prior to independence, the Russians largely composed of the technical engineering intelligentsia and their exodus, has hurt the country's economy. Although rich in minerals and endowed with a natural beauty that has led some to describe the country as the Switzerland of Central Asia, and thus potentially as a new tourist frontier, Kyrgyzstan's geopolitical location, squeezed between China and Kazakhstan, makes it highly dependent on the degree to which Kazakhstan itself succeeds in maintaining its independence. Tajikistan is only somewhat more ethnically homogeneous. Of its 6.5 million people, fewer than two-thirds are Tajik, and more than 25% are Uzbek, 
who are viewed with some hostility by the Tajiks, while the remaining Russians account for only about 3%. However, as elsewhere, even the dominant ethnic community is sharply, even violently, divided along tribal lines, with modern nationalism confined largely to the urban political elite. As a result, independence has produced not only civil strife, but a convenient excuse for Russia to continue deploying its army in the country. The ethnic situation is even further complicated by the large presence of Tajiks across the border, in northeastern Afghanistan. In fact, almost as many ethnic Tajiks live in Afghanistan as in Tajikistan, another factor that serves to undermine regional stability. Afghanistan's current state of disarray is likewise a Soviet legacy, even though the country is not a former Soviet republic. Fragmented by the Soviet occupation and the prolonged guerrilla warfare conducted against it, Afghanistan is a nation-state in name only. Its 22 million people have become sharply divided along ethnic lines, with growing divisions among the country's Pashtuns, Tajiks, and Hazaras. At the same time, the jihad against the Russian occupiers has made religion the dominant dimension of the country's political life, infusing dogmatic fervor into already sharp political differences. Afghanistan, thus, has to be seen not only as a part of the Central Asian ethnic conundrum, but also as politically very much part of the Eurasian Balkans. Although all of the formerly Soviet Central Asian states, as well as Azerbaijan, are populated predominantly by Muslims, their political elites, still largely the products of the Soviet era, are almost uniformly non-religious in outlook, and the states are formally secular. However, as their populations shift from a primarily traditional clannish or tribal identity to a more modern national awareness, they are likely to become imbued with an intensifying Islamic consciousness. In fact, an Islamic revival already abated from the outside not only by Iran, but also by Saudi Arabia, is likely to become the mobilizing impulse for the increasingly pervasive new nationalisms determined to oppose any reintegration under Russian and, hence, infidel control. Indeed, the process of Islamization is likely to prove contagious also to the Muslims who have remained within Russia proper. They number about 20 million more than twice the number of disaffected Russians, circa 9.5 million, who continue to live under foreign rule in the independent Central Asian states. The Russian Muslims thus account for about 13% of Russia's population, and it is almost inevitable that they will become more assertive in claiming their rights to a distinctive religious and political identity. Even if that claim does not take the form of a quest for outright independence, as it has in Chechnya, it will overlap with the dilemmas that Russia, given its recent imperial involvement and the Russian minorities in the new states, will continue to face in Central Asia. 
gravely increasing the instability of the Eurasian Balkans and making the situation potentially much more explosive, is the fact that two of the adjoining major nation-states, each with a historically imperial, cultural, religious, and economic interest in the region, namely Turkey and Iran, are themselves volatile in their geopolitical orientation and are internally potentially vulnerable. Were these two states to become destabilized, it is quite likely that the entire region would be plunged into massive disorder with the ongoing ethnic and territorial conflicts spinning out of control and the region's already delicate balance of power severely disrupted. Accordingly, Turkey and Iran are not only important geostrategic players, but are also geopolitical pivots whose own internal condition is of critical importance to the fate of the region. Both are middle-sized powers with strong regional aspirations and a sense of their historical significance. Yet, the future geopolitical orientation and even the national cohesion of both states remains uncertain. Turkey, a post-imperial state, still in the process of redefining its identity, is pulled in three directions. The modernists would like to see it become a European state and thus look to the West. The Islamists lean in the direction of the Middle East and a Muslim community and thus look to the South. And the historically-minded nationalists see in the Turkic peoples of the Caspian Sea Basin and Central Asia a new mission for a regionally dominant Turkey and thus look eastward. Each of these perspectives posits a different strategic axis, and the clash between them introduces, for the first time since the Kemalist Revolution, a measure of uncertainty regarding Turkey's regional role. Moreover, Turkey itself could become, at least, a partial victim of the region's ethnic conflicts although its population of about 65 million is predominantly Turkish, with about 80% Turkic stock, though including a variety of Circassians, Albanians, Bosnians, Bulgarians, and Arabs. As much as 20%, or perhaps even more, are Kurdish. Concentrated in the country's eastern regions, the Turkish Kurds have increasingly been drawn into the struggle for national independence waged by the Iraqi and Iranian Kurds. Any internal tensions within Turkey regarding the country's overall direction would doubtless encourage the Kurds to press even more violently for a separate national status. Iran's future orientation is even more problematic. The fundamentalist Shiite revolution that triumphed in the late 1970s, may be entering its Thermidorian phase, and that heightens the uncertainty regarding Iran's geostrategic role. On the one hand, the collapse of the aesthetic Soviet Union opened up Iran's newly independent northern neighbors to religious proselytizing, but, on the other, Iran's hostility to the United States has inclined Tehran to adopt at least a tacitly pro-Moscow orientation, reinforced by Iran's concerns regarding the impact on its own cohesion of Azerbaijan's new independence. That concern is derived from Iran's vulnerability to ethnic tensions. Of the country's 65 million people, 
almost identical in number to Turkey's. Only somewhat more than one-half are Persians. Roughly one-fourth are Aziri, and the remainder include Kurds, Baluchis, Turkmens, Arabs, and other tribes. Outside of the Kurds and the Aziris, the others at present do not have the capacity to threaten Iran's national integrity, especially given the high degree of national, even imperial, consciousness among the Persians. But that could change quite quickly, particularly in the event of a new political crisis in Iranian politics. Furthermore, the very fact that several newly independent stands now exist in the area, and that even the one million Chechnyans have been able to assert their political aspirations, is bound to have an infectious effect on the Kurds, as well as on all the other ethnic minorities in Iran. If Azerbaijan succeeds in stable political and economic development, the Iranian Aziris will probably become increasingly committed to the idea of a greater Azerbaijan. Thus, political instability and divisions in Tehran could expand into a challenge to the cohesion of the Iranian state, thereby dramatically extending the scope and increasing the stakes of what is involved in the Eurasian Balkans.